What is up, church? Hey, that was good. Uh, you ever uh, like get do hand sanitizer and then rub your eye? No, just me. Awesome. Um, I'm like rubbing my eyes, getting up here. I'm like, no, I messed up. Um, Welcome, my name is Jamie. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Uh, as we walk into uh, Christmas season, uh, we are in the final stretch. Uh, this week, Christmas Eve Eve, we get to celebrate. And, and we do this, we started this tradition as a church uh, from the very beginning, uh, doing it on Christmas Eve Eve. Uh, and we just felt like in a season that is jam-packed with stuff, if we could do something that could bring a little bit of a relief to that, uh, Christmas Eve Eve was one of those things. That we could gather as a church family and worship together and praise Jesus together and, and celebrate the birth. Uh, and then everyone could go home on their travels, go visit who they're going to visit, or even just stay at home on Christmas Eve and just truly rest. Uh, so I, I don't know about you, but it, it's been a huge blessing to us as a church to have this rhythm. How are you feeling this week? He feels good. How, like, how are you feeling? Like, take a mental stock, a, a kind of an inventory of what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Are, are you anxious? Are you, you feel hurried? You feel like there's a billion things to do? Uh, is, is finals this week? So there's that, right? There's finals this week. Maybe, maybe things are uh, chaotic at home. Maybe you're struggling with some relationships. Maybe you're going to see some people this week that is causing you a little bit of anxiety. And I just invite us, whatever it is that's going on, that we just, just give all of that to Jesus. Because whatever it is you're going through this week, whatever it is you're thinking, whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're struggling with, Jesus wants to be in that. And even transform that. He wants you to, to bring those things to his feet and go, here, it's yours, Jesus. My anxiety, my fear, my joy, everything is yours. Will you meet me there? Will you do work there? In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the unbelief or doubt, in the midst of the joy, in the midst of celebration, Jesus, will you meet me there? I think we'd be surprised what the answer is. Wouldn't we? I, I went, uh, when I was in high school, I grew up, if you've been around for a while, you know this, but I grew up attending church, and I grew up in a Lutheran school. In Lutheran middle school, I went through confirmation, I went through all the deal, and went to church on a weekly basis, and I think my, my overall question, like my main struggle growing up in the church, like sitting in class, learning about the Bible, learning about all this doctrine, learning about all these things, my main struggle was this. 
I know that I'm supposed to believe in Jesus. But really, what difference does that make? What difference does it make? If I believe in Jesus or not, like what, what difference does that make? And then I would go to uh, Christmas and Easter services. Uh, when I got into high school, we kind of fell away from the church, stopped going as much, but we still managed to find our way to church on Christmas and Easter, like the, the most important holidays, the, the holidays when everybody goes to church. So here's a little plug. If you are going to invite someone to church, invite them to Christmas Eve Eve. Tell them you'll go out to eat afterwards, you'll take them out to dinner, you'll do whatever, or or you'll just buy them coffee, or you'll just meet them here. There'll be hot chocolate, cookies, all that fun stuff. But just invite them because now is the time when somebody is more likely to say, yeah, I'll go. It's kind of that time of year, right? But, But I would sit in these church services and I would look around and I would see people, according to me, kind of going through the motions. They would sing songs, and really it looked like like they were kind of dead, right? Like they were standing, so I knew they were somewhat alive, but they were just kind of sitting there, and it looked like this song that you were singing had no effect on your being. People kind of rushed in, kind of rushed out, act like it was more of a checking off the list than anything else. And I fully admit Right? I fully admit that I was a punk teenager that was judging everyone else. Right? So take that with a grain of salt. But this was my overwhelming question. What difference does it make in following Jesus? For you and I. And then you could say, you could go one step further for you or I, but it also is the bigger question, what difference does it make following Jesus for your coworker, for your neighbor, for the barista, for the person at the uh, checkout lane, the person that you pass in the aisle? Well, what difference does it make that you follow Jesus for your family member? Or for that person that you really just can't stand. (laughs) I know you got them. Don't try to pull that card on me. But this was a major hindrance to me. In my faith. Is this just something I believe? Or is this something more? And I think, if we're honest, that's the issue, probably the main issue, with people who don't come to church and don't believe in Jesus. Right? Like, like ask any of your non-Christian friends. Or ask any of your friends that are kind of deconstructing their faith. They're really struggling. They're really doubting. They're not attending church because they really can't stand church. Like, ask the question. What is the struggle here? Because I think if we dig deep enough, I think we'll find that this is the base struggle. Is this just something we believe in? If so, what's the big deal? 
Is this just something to get me into heaven? Like it's my lift ticket. Uh, if you grew up in youth group, you know what that analogy is. But like, you know, lift ticket, you get it, you get to the top. Never mind. So is this just something that like gets me in a better place when I die? Or is this something deeper, more profound? And I encourage you. Enter into dialogue with non-Christians or with people that are struggling with the church or people that are struggling with Jesus or people that you just run into. You don't have to be creepy about it, but just ask the question, hey, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the church? I guarantee you'll have some lively conversations. Enter into dialogue, be curious, ask questions, especially in this season. And then here's the key thing. Listen, don't be quick to give some answer. Don't be quick to defend. Just listen. And I think of the root of all of our struggles is this. Is this something we believe in? Or is this something we are participating in? We talked later, earlier this summer, uh, we went through our series called The Gospel. And we talked about this, this reality that the gospel isn't just believing in something. Like it's not just uh, getting your theological framework in order. It's not just saying, yeah, I can believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Like James in the scriptures says, even the demons believe that. Like, just belief is the low bar. It's not just about belief. It's about participating in the kingdom of Jesus. I can believe the right things all day long, but if they don't change my life, they don't change the life of others around me, what good is it? All right? I can believe that if I go to the gym and work out on a regular basis, that's going to get me in a healthier place. That's going to transform my body, right? Does that do any good if I just believe it? I've tried. It doesn't. Trust me. I'm working on that. Maybe for New Year's. Uh, see, the first century believers understood this concept. They understood it, that it's not just about belief, but it's about participating in the kingdom of Jesus. And sometimes I wonder if as we follow Jesus, that very thing is something that we intentionally over. Why? Because it means that we have to change. (laughs) It means that we have to submit to something else. It means that we have to reorder our lives. It means we have to have different priorities. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew.
In the beginning of the Christmas story, uh, in Luke, stay in Matthew, but in Luke, uh, if you've been in church for a while, you, you, you know the beginning of this story. Uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Everyone went to their hometown to register. So, here's Mary and Joseph. They are pregnant. They are called to go back to their hometown and register. Uh, The Roman government did this to try to get a tally of who all were the citizens so that they could know who to tax. Who to tax to get more money from. They wanted to get an account for everybody so everyone go back to their home and register. Mary and Joseph went back to their home to register. Bethlehem. As they did that, it's amazing to to sit there and, and read this Christmas story and read over the four Gospels and see a different lens, a different framework for how each of them is describing the announcement and the birth of Jesus. So as they're going back, as they are taking that long journey, there are wise men. And in Luke chapter 2, there are wise men as Jesus is born. And it says this in Luke chapter 2 verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. See, we saw this star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So everyone goes back, and then as Jesus is born, there are wise men in another part of the world that see a star and go, hey, this is the sign. This is the sign. See, this was their job as wise men. They were wealthy. They were looking at the stars. They were seeing, looking for the next king to come, the one that was prophesied about. And they see it. They see the signal, and so they leave to go and find the new king. They're probably about 100 miles away from Bethlehem. And they see this star and they say we got to go worship this new king well there was another king on the scene see there was the main king of rome and then there were little kings in charge of regions and king herod was in charge of this area he was known as king of the jews and he was a ruthless man is any king would be, worried about his kingdom. And so King Herod heard about this, and he was disturbed. As you would be, think about it. Someone else, you get wind that someone else is born that is the king. And you are a king. And he's born in your region. So obviously, King Herod is very disturbed. I got to figure this out. 
There's a new king that is born, and I need to do what I can to keep my kingdom. He called all together, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet was written. And they quote Micah, chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from out of you will become a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. So the current king is sitting on his throne. He catches wind of the king that is born. He does not want to give up his throne. So he is willing to do whatever it takes to maintain his rule. He's the king. He doesn't want to submit to another king. He is the king. And so he meets with the magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He then sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I too may go and worship him. Does Herod really want to go worship the new king? No. See, we tend to hold on to our thrones very tightly, don't we? Like we don't want to give up what we are in control of. And it's not, we don't easily just give up our control, our power, our authority in our own lives. This is Herod. He meets with the wise men. He says, look, clearly something is going on here. There seems to be angels meeting with different people, appearing out of nowhere, announcing this new birth of this king. The stars are even declaring that there is a new king that is being born. Something is going on. Hey guys, could you go and find out where this king is because I really want to worship him. Yeah, right. The Magi go. They went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And in coming to the house, this was... Who knows how long this was after Jesus was born? Maybe months, maybe up to a year, people think. But they walk up to this house. Mary and Joseph, thankfully, made it out of the stable and into a home. So they go and visit the home where this young family is living. And they saw Jesus with his mother Mary. And what was their response? They bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped Jesus. The king. What's your response to Jesus? Are you like Herod? 
no, no, this is my throne. I, it, I don't need it to be threatened. Okay, Jesus? Like, like I, this is my kingdom here. I don't need you to come in and mess around and be threatened. I don't need to give up authority. I don't need to give up control. This is my life. You gave it to me. I can do whatever I want with it. God will judge me when it's all over. I never understood that line. Like, only God can judge me. Like, or is your response to the king being born one where you bow down and you worship him? In the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the last couple years, think about it. What has your true response been to Jesus? If I'm being honest, it's been a combination of both, hasn't it? They bow down and they worship him. And they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, because Herod is up to something, they were turned to their country by another route. In the next chapter, we see that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up, take your family, leave. Flee to another country. Because Herod is so upset. Herod is so enraged that he was betrayed by the Magi that he doesn't know who this new king is, that he ordered a decree. He figured out the age of this new king, and he goes, oh, it must be two years old and under, so here's the rule. So my kingdom isn't threatened. Go out and kill all the boys two years old and under. See, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of Jesus usually war against each other. And we see what Herod's response is to this news of a king. And here's the thing that we might miss if we don't slow down in the story is that a king is born. King Jesus is born. We see the story of Christmas. The angels are coming. The announcements are coming. People are being prepared. The sky is telling that there is a king that is born that is about to change everything. And if we aren't careful, we might miss it. We just might Miss it. See, Jesus wasn't just a religious figure. He was the king. He is the king. In Luke chapter 1, 32 through uh, 33, it says, His kingdom will never end. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. This kingdom will never end. A king 
has been born. A king lives. How do you respond? See, the king was born to to begin this upside-down kingdom. This kingdom where the poor are blessed. See, blessed are the poor, the kingdom is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those that are peacemakers. Notice, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Blessed are those that are persecuted. See, in that list of blessed bees in the Sermon on the Mount, we see an upside-down kingdom where usually in our world, if you're strong, if you're good-looking, if you're wealthy, like those things, if you have power, if you have it all together, like those things are exalted. But in this new kingdom, which is ushered in by a new king, other things are exalted. Like this new king said, you want to be great? You want to be great among your peers. Like you want to be great on Instagram. You want all the followers. You want all the followers, all the likes. You want to be great? Serve. Serve the least of those around us. A king that said, when you serve that person, yeah, that person, (laughs) you serve me. A king that ushered in a new kingdom that was countercultural, different than the rest of the world, had different values. See, you know what the king is like by what the kingdom is like. See, when you live under a king, the idea is that you pledge allegiance to that king, right? It's interesting, I was was looking on the internet and it said this about uh, king and queen, like we think this is a kind of an antiquated idea, right? But did you know, uh, when a new U.S. citizen comes in, they have to renounce all loyalty to any king or queen outside of the U.S. This is what it means to live in a kingdom that you declare allegiance to the king and you renounce allegiance to any other ruler, any other king around. Just think about that. Let that sink in. Jesus is king. King Jesus And he invites you and I to declare allegiance to him, to renounce allegiance to any other ruler and authority in our lives. How does that play out? What does that mean for you and I? 
Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, we see the Christians at the church in Antioch. See, if you follow the story of Acts, you see that that Jesus, at the end of his life, this king, who, by the way, submits to the governing authorities. See, part of living in this kingdom is submitting to the governing authorities, knowing that that's not your allegiance. It also means standing up at times. But this king comes to the end of his life, He's crucified. He dies. He's resurrected. He comes back to meet with his followers. Hey, this is real. And I want to remind you of one thing that you need to do. You have to do if you are going to live in my kingdom. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Go and preach. And live in my name. Does that sound like just believe and you'll be good to you? No. No. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, hey, guys, just so you know, I came back so that you would believe that's all you really need to do. Just believe and you'll be all right. No, no. He said, go. Go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the good news. And so we see in the story of Acts, we see this new kingdom start to take shape. We see Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to empower, to equip his followers. And we see them go out and preach at all costs, regardless of who tells them not to. They go out and they preach and they serve. And guess what? They see the Holy Spirit do amazing things. They they start to form this community because they know, yeah, we live in this kingdom, but we're really a part of this kingdom. And we know that Rome has a king, and that's technically like our earthly king, but we serve a higher king that came, died, resurrected, rose again, and is our true king. And so that is our allegiance. So we're going to start living like it. Nobody has a need. We're going to meet together. We're going to pray. We're going to eat together. We're going to serve each other. If there's a need, we're going to meet it. And we're going to go out and we're going to preach. And as we go out and we preach, we're going to see Jesus do all sorts of things in our midst. We're going to see the Holy Spirit bring thousands and thousands of people who are going to ditch their earthly kingdom and say, I want to be part of this because this is something different. This is something fuller. This is what life is supposed to be like. So we see the journey of the church through the book of Acts. And we see the Christians get called Christians for the first time at the church of Antioch. In verse 25. Acts 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church 
and taught great numbers of people. The disciples, the <laughs> disciples were called Christians first. Christ followers. See, there is a allegiance that they declared. Because the one thing that they understood was that Jesus was king. And when you believe in a king, when you follow a king, that means that every part of your life changes as you live into that kingdom. And you see it here in the first church, the very next verse 27, during that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named uh, Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine in the world spread over the entire Roman Empire. Living in this new kingdom, what do you think the response of the Christ followers were? Well, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. See, this is a new kingdom. Instead of a famine has come. That means I have to store everything. I got to go to the local markets. I got to go here. I got to go there. And I have to store everything up because if a famine is coming, it means I'm not going to have enough. The Christians live according to a different kingdom. Their response was not to go and hoard everything for themselves, but to give. And see, we see this upside down kingdom all throughout the New Testament. We see what it means to have allegiance to King Jesus. And often it looks differently than our culture. See, Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. King Jesus comes and everything is different for the rest of eternity. And as these early followers declared and understood Jesus to be king, it meant that they lived according to the values of their king. It means they trusted in their king. It means their allegiances were to their king. And as they lived into a different kingdom, the world around them was changed. We serve a king that doesn't force you to follow. We serve a king that invites you. question is, is Jesus your king? 
Is Jesus my king? Do we miss it in life? Do we pledge allegiance to our king above everything else? Do we pledge allegiance to this king? Because if you pledge allegiance to this king, it changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you speak. It changes the way that you live. It changes how you spend your money. It changes who you are as an employee. It changes how you lead others. It changes how you live and serve in your relationships. It changes your priorities. It changes the way you view politics. It changes how you identify with one political party or the other. It changes how you love your neighbor. It changes your very definition of who your neighbor is. It changes whether you are going to store up for yourself or whether you give. So as the worship team comes up, it's just a question as we head into this week. I know it's going to be busy. And that is awesome. I know there's going to be good and joyful things about this week. And I know there's going to be some struggles. Through it all, the question remains, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus my king? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray. I pray that we don't miss it. And I pray that you help us to understand in our minds and our hearts what it means for you to be born and what it means for us to say, you are my king. In Jesus' name, amen.